Blog Talk Radio. about 
the history of the black man, not just in America, but throughout all lands. I like it. If it helps somebody learn just a little bit more, then it is worth the effort, and we should be trying to reach our young ones using any means necessary. And, man, oh, man, there is a lot that is necessary to help reach them. Well, welcome to Our Own Voices Live. I am your co-host, Rodney Smith, bringing you another edition of Our Own Voices Live. The topic of our show today is Second 2015 Republican Debate. That's right. And we're also going to talk a little bit, a little bit about bringing Dr. Omar Johnson to Las Vegas and why that is important. And if not him, then who? Maybe it's someone local to you. But if not him, who? And what are we willing to do to improve our plight? So we're going to try to tackle a little bit of both of those today. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 p.m. for those of you back here. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is culture and ethnic divide in America to help build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. One of the ways that we do it is with shows like Our Own Voices Live. Uh, we, Our Own Voices Live actually came from Our Own Voices print and digital magazine that talked about culture. First, it was intended to help educate African Americans about their own history and culture, but then to educate others about the African American's history and culture, but to educate the African American on other people's history and culture, because we all live in America, and no matter what the hyphen, it still includes America, and we should know who we are, and we should know who our fellow and our Lady Americans because we're still American. When it gets bad, it may get a little bit worse for this one, a lot worse for that one, but the bottom line is we're still interconnected. We are in this boat together. I found that the more that we know about one another, the easier it is to relate and to communicate. And once you can relate and communicate, then walls, start to fall down beside you. Walls start to fall down beside them, which means walls start to fall down beside us. When that happens, then we can move forward together. Then we can understand the point of view. As an example, Black Lives Matter has been ridiculed because it seems to isolate and say that just Black Lives Matter. But that's actually contrary and turning it inside out and 180 degrees from what Black Lives Matter actually stands for. Black Lives Matter is all lives matter, including black lives, including black lives, because for so long it has been all lives matter except black lives. And what they're saying is, no, all lives do matter, but that includes us. Sometimes, You have to be a part of something. You have to touch 
something to truly understand what it feels like because just looking at it, it may look smooth, but when you touch it, maybe it's rough. Or maybe it looks rough, but when you touch it, it's smooth. So without that contact, whether it's a physical contact or just that experience, you see, I did not walk in the shoes of those who were in the Jewish Holocaust. Didn't do it. I have an idea. So when they tell their story, it's their story to tell. When they share what hurts, their hurt, for me to try to empathize with. With the African American, we're saying we have a story to tell too. You know, we talk sometimes about the Native American brothers and sisters that are out there. And those do they have a story to tell. But we have a story to tell, and we want to tell our story. And we have a pain to share that was inflicted on us by those who enslaved our people and then put us into Jim Crow status shortly after Reconstruction. And we want to talk about how that has impacted us today because it is the most recent story. It is the most recent story. And we may not have overcome that story. So our own voices live and our own voices, our goal is to share our story, but to also share and embrace your story. And hopefully, hopefully, you will embrace our story. Well, our title of the show today is The Second Central Debate. And there has been a lot of discussion about this debate. I watched it a couple of times. Hopefully you all did too. But, of course, there could be no Our Own Voices Live had it not been for Mrs. Angela Thomas, my co-host. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hey. How are you? Saturday again. I'm hanging in there. How you doing? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about... I'm, I think I'm about 90, 95, 98 percent. I'm not there 100%, but I'm getting there. A little rest, some good food, a good company. I went to the gathering yesterday and just had a, a really great time. Found out that one of our gatherers is actually running for Congress. Breaking news. One of our gatherers is running for Congress. I'm going to try to get her on the show so that she can share with all of you who she is, what congressional seat she's running for, and why she's running, what she thinks she has to offer that may not be there already. So, hey, we had breaking news at the gathering yesterday. Dang. Well, I'm happy that you're almost 100%. I myself have taken a, a bit of a backslide, not quite 60%, I would say, but... Uh, I'm glad you're feeling better. I hate to miss the gathering, but I'm so happy to hear uh, great news coming from the gathering again. And, and folks, last week and the week before that, well, the week before that, I think I was out of town, but last week I was the one out of commission. So we're, we're just tapping out right now, but eventually we'll both be back uh, 100%. Clicking on all cylinders, right? Oh my goodness! I am ready. Not trying to hit this mute button all the time to cough and sneeze and carry on is no fun at all. 
now. Think of it like this. Maybe you're getting your trigger finger a little exercise, you know, quick on the drop. Mm. Get well, those reflexes woke up. <laughs> I tell you what, I did I did feel good enough to watch that presidential debate, and there were some shots fired for sure. Oh, definitely. How did you like the timing? I thought that, I thought, okay, for real, even with 11 candidates, three hours is a bit much. You know, that, that's one of the things that the network that put on the debate is going to have to deal with. Uh, one is there's, there were 17 candidates. Uh, they had one to drop out. That still left two debates. The kids' table debate, as some people maybe unaffectionately call it, and then you had the room people debate with 11 people. Now, I was curious as to why there was 11 and not 10 like in the previous debate. I guess it was a different network, and they squeezed probably the arena in there at the end. And I was thinking, well, isn't she ahead of Rand Paul? So why isn't Rand Paul at the little people's table? And why is it <laughs> For stature uh, and, and, you know, his his lack of numbers too. So uh, you're right. Now, now there was no pun intended, <laughs> but it did come out that way. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I did wonder that, and you know he was he was at the end, and Rand Paul and Donald Trump had a little tip, seemingly um, with Rand Paul being the instigator, but it looked like Rand Paul got the worst of it. <laughs> He certainly became the butt of the joke at the end, but, you know, um, I thought he was making a great point. It, it, it was a very unpresidential thing to tweet, um, very unkind. And, you know, maybe Mr. Trump is not thinking, you know, he's just thinking about his norm, in his normal entertainer, uh, reality star, kind of villainous reality star at that. He sort of ebbs and flows between, you know, okay guy and bad guy with his role as the star, form, well, now he's the former star of The Apprentice. Uh, this week news came out that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the new apprentice, but we'll get to that in, a, in at another broadcast. But um, he's going to have to start understanding that you just can't say everything you think about a person. It's particularly women, because he seems to be hyper-focused on how women look, particularly. It is Donald is is interesting because he's popular because of his almost Chris Christie plus uh, demeanor and the way he speaks. You know, Chris Christie was the one to get the he double two picks off the beach. Uh, you know, shut up, sit down. That was Chris Christie. <laughs> and people seem to love him for that. And then we have Donald Trump, who almost like out Chris Christie's Chris Christie. And <clears throat> we did see Chris Christie kind of take a stand in there a little bit, actually concerning Donald and, and Carly. But it seems to be that this year people aren't necessarily looking for political correctness by any means. And not even, I think it's beyond political correctness. 
they're not even necessarily looking for civility. It actually seems as if they're looking for a fight. Well, as much as I hate to acknowledge this, it pains me to say so. I really think that this is a uh, a symptom. We're starting a cultural shift that we're starting to see. That's a symptom of our satur- our our uh, over, probably oversaturation of reality TV. We expect everything to maybe operate in in that context. Everything on the boob tube, at least. I titled the show the 2015 uh, Republican presidential debate. What I should have titled it was the 2015, the second 2015 Republican uh, reality show because it does seem a lot reality show is to me. Much as it pains me to to agree with you. You know, I'm I'm still going with being pro reality show. Uh it it is hard to acknowledge that maybe it's spilling over into places I wouldn't want it to be. And you know, people are blaming Trump. <clears throat> but is Trump the catalyst or is Trump sort of the the symptom or the manifestation? Of what was already there I kind of think that Trump is the manifestation of what's there uh, I think people are responding to it Because this is the way in which we're used to receiving our information As I said a moment ago with the oversaturation of uh, And that's my, my thought, oversaturation of reality TV Coupled with the fact that even our mainstream news outlets uh, Because it's much cheaper to produce an entertainment segment. You have morning news, the morning news shows such as Good Morning America Today show and even to some extent CBS Morning News uh all sort of uh acquiescing to reporting um uh social media news uh based news stories and um you know entertainment focused pieces. This is how people are, you know, this is why people are used to, you know, receiving rather serious things in, in a magazine sort of entertainment type format. And, you know, I, I just think that Donald is uniquely, uh, has some unique experiences that speaks that speak to both worlds. Well, if you notice that the ratings have been through the roof, I'm talking about Super Bowl type ratings. Yep. It's been a bonanza for the networks who have hosted the uh, the debate, and I'm thinking that a good part of that reason is because Donald Trump is in it. Uh, we are watching these debates with a certain expectation. Uh, he did not disappoint the first debate. He was a, a bit to me asleep at the wheel a little bit uh and the the c the c n n commentators gave him plenty of room to show out as my grandmother would have said but um uh, he did not take the bait he he for the most part remained you know rather subdued compared 
and and certainly uh, compared to what what our expectations probably were. Now I think that that was the plan going in. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. If people said, "Well, he's low energy, maybe it's wearing on him, maybe he's tired." I'm like, this is a man that filmed. I don't know how many episodes of the reality TV show. He still had a a business to run. He he travels all over the place. And he is, and he not, got a young wife. What this is uh, number three young uh, wife. So with a fairly young child. So I'm yes. thinking, I'm not really seeing this as Donald being tired. I'm seeing no, this as I think it's him stress. knowing his audience and knowing how to play. Uh, what to the to that audience? And what was interesting afterwards? Uh, I think it was yesterday. They had body language experts to go over the different body languages that they had seen, and they wanted to talk about Donald Trump. And one of the things they said was, they said, well, what you have to realize with Donald Trump is, you know, they said, well, he makes a lot of faces, and uh, the body language expert says, well, that's because he's communicating with the audience, even when the <laughs> It's not the time to speak Mm -hmm. Uh, because so other people are speaking. He's in the center. He knows he's the center of attention. He knows that people want to know what he's thinking, feeling about what's being said. So all of those body, the the hand gestures, the facial expressions. The scrunching of the face and all of that stuff means something. something Yes, he's sending a message. And he's communicating with those 22, 23 million people out there who are watching as well as listening, but mostly watching, and they're watching his response. So they said, no, don't be fooled. He's just using his uh, TV savvy to steal. I was just going to say, that's 11 years of uh, in front of the camera um, expertise, and with each year of television for reality TV, there's uh, various degrees of training to hone your your you know your natural inclinations and 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 things of that nature to amplify certain things about your uh, body language, your personality. Uh, so that what what we're seeing is <laughs> been fine tuned for over a decade. Uh, you know, never underestimate the power of entertainers. When you think of Al Franklin is, I believe, a senator in one of those northern tier states. I, I believe it's Michigan or Wisconsin, but somebody fact-checked me on that. And he, he was a comedian. Think about that. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's taken over The Apprentice, was the governor of California. Yep. I mean, not just one term either. He got reelected. That is amazing. One of the most popular presidents ever is Ronald Reagan. They were in his presidential library. Uh, they called him Rawhide in homage to his acting roles in Western. So yep. this is entertainers becoming elected officials is not new and I've said on the show that one of the best occupations to prepare you to be a politician is to be an actor or something in the entertainment business. Because ultimately, those folks are there, if you listen to what the commentators say, 
It is about how well they are entertaining us. Uh, even and, and it is acting. Well, they should have had this facial expression. They should have used this to convey this message. They're actually giving as if they're critiquing their acting, not critiquing their facts so much or how important this is, but it is almost as if every week we have, it's, it's not the, well, it's like the, the voice or something or one of those other realities, <laughs> music reality shows, and that they're, you know, we got Simon Cowell up there giving their critique. It's interesting. So then reality one of the TV that, is on the on the tip of our, um, wait, well, reality TV is, is kind of the central framing system of, of how we're looking at, run, you know, this, this, Political season ramping up. Very interesting. And who, how serious will people take us when they know that our presidential election is reality TV? How serious will we, as the electorate, take our election with this being a reality TV show? And again, I know people tend to put the blame on Donald, but it was already headed this way. It was. And that's one reason why Donald probably thought he could do a pretty good job. But it's like, hey, they're in my domain, and I'm the king of my domain. I'm the expert, not them. Let me go here and see what I can do. Now, whether he really intended to run or not, you know, that's still a question. And maybe only he knows the answer to that question. I mean, it could have been one of those things that he was doing as usual, maybe went a little too far, somebody got ticked off, then ticked him off, then they took opposing sides, which they couldn't sort of bring back, and then here we are. He says, okay, well, since I'm here, I'll do it. Oh, wow, they like me. Hey, I'm leading. Well, why should I quit? I I like attention. I got plenty of attention. But here's the other part. Is Donald Trump saying anything that the other candidates are not saying or intimating or have said? Is he framing their argument into a less politically correct version? And if if he is, why are the other candidates calling him? Well, he's not really a, a Republican. I could say many of them are not really as conservative as they are because they'll tell you quickly that they had to go to the right to win the general or excuse me, to win the primary, but they're going to immediately go to the left to win the general. And then when they do that and you call them on, but you said this just a little while ago, they will quickly tell you, yeah, but that was when I was running for the primary, now I'm running for the general. So just Jedi mind trick, all of that that I said before <laughs> out of your mind, and this is the new me, and this is the only me that you've ever known. And you understand Damn. this is the way the system works. <laughs> 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 and we, but the thing is, is, we fall for it, and we say, okay. So we are just as duplicit in this as anyone else. What are we going to do to bring them back in line? Because they were... They're giving us this that we now want, 
that they taught us to want. They trained us to want this type of stuff, and they're giving it to us, and we know it's not good for us. What are we going to do? And then here's, here's a big one here. For the African-American that's out there who says that politics is not important or politics dirty, really for anyone, so therefore I'm not going to be involved. Well, here's one thing for sure. Of the 16 candidates that were up there last night, there is going to come a point where there's one left. And then that one is going to have a 50-50 chance of being our next president. So we have, like every other American, a vested interest in following this process and knowing who is who, and at every opportunity, being able to interject what it is that we want and need for our community. Andrew, do you think that African Americans are as engaged in the political sphere as they should be, especially when it's associated with these GOP debates? I think African Americans are more involved with this process than we're publicly acknowledging. There's no way that they had the numbers that they had the other night without having full, the full attention of African African Americans in this country. There's no way they had those numbers without us. So that and that being said, that tells me that we're more engaged than we're than we're saying publicly and um what was your what was your next question? Well, here's the other thing. If we are that engaged, is it just because we know that one of these people will be our future president and we're trying to get a feel for him? Is it because do you think it's because of the entertainment aspect? Or maybe it's because black people who typically vote, I believe it's ninety five percent Democrat, possibly are thinking about divorcing or at least temporarily separating from the Democratic Party and are seriously considering giving their vote to someone from the GOP? I say this. I say that black people are engaged with this election cycle this early for the same reason the general market is engaged right now. It is uh, interesting to hear any of the candidates speak off t- off the teleprompter, and that has captivated everyone. Um, and I think we're no different than that. Do I think that this will result in us voting uh, contrary to what we're registered? You know, the general what what our general population is uh, registered as. I think it will be as it has been when other Republican uh, presidents have gotten in office. They they got, managed to capture an unusual amount of registered African American Democrats. Hmm. It it would be something if African Americans sort of challenged the status quo and stepped out of the usual lane and decided 
that they might be willing to cast more of their vote for a non-democratic candidate. And this sort of begs the question of what happened to the inevitability of Hillary Clinton and her staunch support by black Democrats. Well, by, 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 we'll start with black Democrats, then we'll move into women. Hmm. Ask me that again. Let me unpack that. So going into this election cycle, it was almost predestined that Hillary Clinton would be the nominee of the Democratic Party. It was almost as if she had been, she was just waiting for the coronation, but she was going to be the the person to beat. She was going to lock in all the donors. Uh, She had bills behind her. She was just this powerhouse. How could she lose? Nobody else would jump in the race. And all of a sudden, Bernie Sanders is in the race, a a socialist, mind you, who's an independent (laughs) for the most part, but is running for the Democratic nomination and has actually eclipsed Mrs. Clinton in some polls. So her inevitability doesn't seem so inevitable right now. Right. Well, what happened to that? And she expected that the that black people were going to be with her. Uh, really hasn't marketed to black people. And the polls are not uh, reflecting that right now. I I think once again... You can never, ever, ever plan and plot against the will of the people. You can never over uh, steer what's going to happen in that voting booth, what's going to happen on the road to that voting booth. As soon as you over-assume on what the American people are going to do, um, you end up being, you know, surprised and probably a little disappointed in your efforts, the the the, the result of your, your efforts. You just can't, you know, every time in history you've ever seen um, the type of energy around a candidate where it was just a foregone conclusion almost, it seemed. This is a foregone conclusion that Hillary is not only going to be the the candidate, but this is her season to be the first female president of the United States of America. Every single time we've done that in in my lifespan of, of American politics, we have been wrong. You just cannot do that to um, how it just never seems to work out the way that they quite the way they plotted it. Now I will say something. This is still very early in very the early. election process, and this was the time where the last election cycle we had gone through quite a few front runners, 
As a matter of fact, I think one of the front runners from the last election cycle is no longer in the race this election cycle, and that's uh, former governor, matter of fact, longest-serving governor of the great state of Texas, who dropped out of the race. And Mm -hmm. last election cycle, he was leading the race. Pretty remarkable. a lot of things, you know, there's, there's time for a lot of things to happen. But it's still shocking to see Bernie Sanders leading Hillary Clinton right now. It's still it shocking really to see Rick Santorum dredging the bottom when it came down to, in the last election cycle, I believe it was came down to Rick Santorum and uh, uh, I, I, I lost the, the track of the former nominee. I guess that shows just how important. Mitt Romney, Rick Santorum and Mitt Romney, it came down to them, and then Mitt eventually defeated him. And, of course, we know that President Obama then in the general election went on to defeat Mitt uh, Romney. So mm-hmm. things can change. But as things are changing, we find that Scott Walker, who was supposed to be the new young stallion in the GOP, is also not faring so well. And even though he had a decent performance, it wasn't I'm the leader performance. Right. Uh, we have someone that I actually was given a hard look to, and that's Rand Paul. And the reason why I was giving him a hard look was because of his discussions on issues associated with black people, specifically mm-hmm. the drugs and incarceration uh, rates due to drug use and and uh, distribution of, of black people and other minorities. Uh, he's even working with legislation with Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, formerly the mayor of New York, Newark, New Jersey, a.k.a. their Superman who is backing President uh, Mrs. Clinton, but it's the fact that those two came together from different parties to put forth legislation that would have a direct impact on the African-American community. And well. he, he is, you know, he's the son of Ron Paul, who had always had a following, even though most of the time people knew he wasn't going to win. They thought with his built-in base, he would be doing much better than what he's doing. And I can tell you that Rick Perry jumped on Donald Trump and apparently got slapped down and kicked out of the and slapped out of the race. And now you have Rand Paul who went after Donald Trump pretty quick, and it looks like he's very holding, barely holding on, as well as Scott Walker who also went after uh, Donald Trump who's barely holding on. So it seems that even though it's early, you can still be hurt. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a rigorous course and a lot of challenges ahead. But um, African-Americans are... African-Americans being such a huge block of voters... There's no group, I believe, that votes more percentage-wise than African-Americans. That tells me that there's some influence there. Now, with Hillary and Bernie, 
running this type of race and with threats of Joe Biden, Vice President Biden, entering the race. How do you think that would impact the dynamic if Vice President Biden came in, especially if he made it clear early that he's given a hard look to Senator Warren to be his VP? How do you think that would impact the race? Hmm. With many people saying they were hoping Elizabeth Warren would have ran in the first place. That would have been interesting. But it's early, so maybe she will. Well, you know that we just had the the Republican debate and the Democratic debate are coming up. Now, as far as the Democrats, we know that the Republicans had 17 contenders had to have, have two sessions of debate. Now the Democrats on the other side of things have about five people running in the election. And of those five, three of them don't even register. And they're going, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing all of them are, gonna, are going to be on the debate stage. There'll be no need for a kid's table debate. And it'll be interesting to see how those other three deal with the two frontrunners. Will they just try to introduce themselves? Will they try to knock them down a peg? That's going to be interesting to see. So folks, keep your, your eyes out for that Democratic debate. But going back to the GOP, the Republicans, uh, Donald Trump was at a rally, an event, and it was a veterans event, or it was billed as a veterans event. And it was about, you know, charity and helping veterans. Well, come to find out the charity, or it's been reported, that the charity that he was the guest speaker at has about somewhere between 30 and $300 in the bank and had this big rally on board of, I believe, the USS Iowa with a 16-inch gun. Wow. And was charging 100 to to $1,000 per head, per person, or per plate. Anyway, it was going to cost you 100 to to $1,000 to attend. And it's estimated that they possibly made $850,000. Now, the media made a little bit of to-do about this and this organization that uh, lost its tax exempt status as was it a real veterans organization? And they tried to sort of attach Donald Trump to that. And I thought that this might have been a fishing expedition for them because Donald Trump didn't get any of the money. Uh, hmm. Supposedly didn't know anyone. He didn't charge for this. It was he was invited as a guest, and he went. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump, you know, I want to tell, especially our veterans, a little something about Donald Trump that people may not know. Whatever you may think of him as a reality star, as a business person, as an individual, Donald Trump has been a huge sponsor of the New York's Veterans Day Parade. As a matter of fact, the story goes, that Donald Trump went to a Veterans Day parade and they joke and say there was like 11 people there. It was a few hundred people. 
and saw it and told them next year in his usual manner it was going to be a great parade and he would make sure of it. And he put his money where his mouth was, and sure enough, the New York Veterans Day Parade have been, as you would say, huge. <laughs> Maybe not that, but they've been much bigger than, than the 300 people or 11 people, whatever the actual number was. So Donald Trump does have a history and a continuing history with veterans and supporting veterans. So I think that that particular sort of takedown or attempted takedown of him probably isn't going to work. But then he had another dust up after that debate. And I don't know if you saw that one where he was in sort of a town hall format and there was a person in the audience that he called on to ask the question. And the man started the question with President Obama being, I think he said Arab or Muslim, and wanted to know what were... (laughs) What was who? What was Donald, and when was someone going to do something about the so-called training camp here in America that might be prepping people to do harm? And Donald Trump has been sort of beat down in the media as well as by his fellow Republican uh, contenders for the not for their party's nomination. And has been ridiculed because Donald Trump did not do what John McCain did and correct the person that the president is not a Muslim. Donald Trump's response has been, it is not my job to defend Barack Obama. What do you think Um, about that? Well, I think since Donald Trump, before he decided to run for pre- for the presidency of the United States, was a bit of a birther. In fact, demanding that the uh, president uh, that, that the president present his birth certificate, it had gotten that heated between Donald Trump's Twitter and the White House, where in which the president actually did show his Hawaii birth certificate. So for a birther to show up and get the microphone and and say, hey, you know, you in the club, remember? Acknowledge us, and what are we going to do? What's the plan? You up there now. You in there. All right. For a birther to, to get up and, and be a little uh, enthusiastic is, is I'm actually surprised it hadn't happened before now because he was pretty uh, high profile with the birther movement. Uh, some people would call Donald Trump at one point the King Bertha. He mm-hmm. was the only one talking about it, and he was the one putting the most energy and pushing it and spending whatever. And getting mainstream attention for it, absolutely. So I'm I, I'm actually surprised that this hadn't happened before. Now, like the day two of him seriously being up there as as a candidate. You know, right behind his immigration statement, I, I thought for sure the birthers, especially as, you know, um, energetic that that press conference was initially. Um, I, I thought we were going to move right into the birther chapter of his uh, campaign for the presidency. Well, one thing I, I do have to point out is, when Donald Trump called on the individual, it was the first 
questioner of the event. And once the individual started, Donald Trump did, and to his credit, sort of blew the guy off and says, is this, uh, and I'm about to paraphrase here, so this is the first, can you believe this is the first question with a little chuckle and, you know, went ahead and listened to the guy. And his comment was not necessarily that President Obama was a, a, a Muslim, but we are going to look into these camps, or at least that's what his his uh, talking heads are saying on his behalf, and that's what he's saying was, I was talking about, yeah, we do need to look into these training camps. And I thought about it, and I said, is this another one of those Donald Trump things where it sounds worse than what it really is, and maybe it is something that we should be concerned about? Are there actually training camps here in America? Uh we know that we have terrorist groups. We have uh, paramilitary organizations. As a matter of fact, since President Obama has been president, the number of paramilitary organizations and anti-American government organizations has skyrocketed. So is this one of those things where, well, it may not sound good, but actually there's some truth to it. Not that Obama is a Muslim because everyone knows that he's a Christian that has the ability to know, but that this maybe is a concern. 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. Did you all see the second Republican debate? And I, I changed the title of the show from second uh, 2015 Republican debate and added second 2015 Republican debate slash reality show. Because it really did seem more like a reality show with judges than an actual substantive debate. We'd love to hear what you all think about uh, the debate and what you all may think about the show. So, Angela, from your perspective, there's uh, there's always a talk about the Donald. Of course, there's going to be talk about Jeb Bush. What, what did you think about Jeb Bush's performance? And here I go. I guess I'm into the reality show, too. But did you see anything in Jeb Bush that changed his narrative, anything more substantive? Uh, he's been accused by, of course, the Donald of being low energy. He, uh, and he, and he, yes, he did seem that way. But what did you think about Jeb Bush? I thought Jeb Bush's performance was a little more turned up. Uh, Jeb Bush, for me... Always seems pissed off, a little agitated. So, for me, you got you know he he did a little he was a little less guarded with his uh, emotion. He 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 he's a very you know kind of cantankerous fella to me. He doesn't really seem like he wants to be there. Honestly, mm. he doesn't seem to me. He doesn't seem passionate. Uh, about this at all? Well, that's sort of been Donald Trump's theme and what he's been sort of playing over and over again is that Jeb Bush is low energy, you know, so he's kind of blase. And there was one moment that for sure that I could say there was plenty of energy and spark from Jeb. And when he wanted that wife apology? Yes. He wanted that apology for his wife, I tell you. 
I, that was definitely a moment in the debate where you're like, okay, Jeff, I think I think you could take Trump. I I think you might punch that guy. I thought he might punch him for a minute. You better get to apologizing. I mean, the way you did my wife, I'm like, ooh, right now, fellas? Right, yeah. Turn on the cameras. Get the close. Get ready for the close up. Donald's finally gonna get punched in the nose. <laughs> but did he? But did no, he? No, he didn't. And Donald, you know, he, in total Donald fashion, shrugged it off and gave a flippant kind of half sort of uh, apologist, uh, apologist kind of apology, not apology. It was quite entertaining. That was a moment. I tell you who we need to check for a post is Ben Carson. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm not sure Ben has a post. blood is not flowing through it. No, that guy. I can understand, you know, and I appreciate someone who is in a in in under in under pressure and in a heated, you know, exchange, being able to be reserved and you know, not get too wrapped up or become emotional. I I I have an appreciation for folks who can handle themselves like that. I am not of that elk. You you pretty much know I wear my feelings on my sleeve. So, you know, I would be kind of like Donald Trump, make faces. You know, I'm pretty animated when, I, when I'm charged up. But Ben Carson, I just don't believe it. I don't. But apparently so think- it's not up to me. He's got a lot of, a lot of good numbers. Right well, behind the Donald. Yeah, he's second to Donald. And, you know, after the first debate, there were people who were saying, yeah, you know, this guy is kind of lackluster. There's not a whole lot going on there. And next thing you know, he leapfrogged past everybody except Donald. And his challenge in Donald, and one poll, is eclipse Donald. Uh, and so it's, it's just one of those things is, is it what we normally expect of politicians? Not what the people are wanting this year. Uh, I think that the public has an appetite for truth telling from the gate. Just tell me straight up what it is. I think that's that's the temperature for what Americans seem to to want right now. We want a straight no chaser, and we don't want uh, a bunch of you know, let's put Donald on the hot seat so that he can be sort of a butthole. A lot of the questions in the debate were bait to try and uh, give the other um, challengers uh, an opportunity to come back on stuff that had been popular in the news cycle or the blogs or whatever. And... You know, folks are just sick and tired of that. They really are ready to hear real ideas, real responses, real uh, see some real work be, being done. I tell you what would be impressive if any of these candidates, Donald or any of them, went out and start to started to implement any idea 
that could fix any of the top problems that we're saying are issues that we want you to start to, to give us your opinion on. What would impress me at this point is if somebody got to work, they all, all 11 candidates up there have the wherewithal to go and be impactful in some way on any of the issues. And nobody is taking that opportunity to do so. Well, in the light of this being a reality show type of event, do they need to do it this year? Again, is that what the people are looking at? Because I look at the condition that the country's in, and as bad as the country's in, more people are concerned about, well, the, the reality stars, Donald Trump and the reality atmosphere associated with it. Do you think that this is something being pushed by the TV stations because of the viewership? I think they said they were getting 40 times the normal rate for ads with this debate. Well, we know they make their money during election time. I mean, all of that special interest money, we know a bulk of it is going to be spent with the networks on ads and, you know, things of that nature. So it's not surprising. You know, one of the interesting things about Donald Trump, and, you know, yes, there's that name again, is how little he has actually spent on advertisement. Wow. How much has he spent? I haven't heard the numbers about how less much than, has he spent. Less than a million dollars. Well, he has been the benefactor of more publicity than anybody. And he understands the nature of publicity like no other. And I believe, and somebody can fact check that too, that he may have only had one commercial. So when I said less than a million dollars, I'm talking about much less. So when you look at the fact that this guy is leading the polls for the GOP right now with an expense, so little money, this seems to be an election cycle. Believe it or not, it gives me hope. As strange as that may seem, it gives me hope. And the reason why it gives me hope is we're seeing now that there's a man who is leading in the polls who may have spent the least amount of money and probably has the most money to spend if his stories of his personal fortune are true. And he, he spent the least amount of money. But that kind of makes sense. He has said, you know, and and this is his his own um, admitting that he has donated to other folks' campaigns more than any candidate up there right now. So he understands intimately the other side of this, what it is to be a donor and where your donor dollars go. When you're a significant donor, you can drive those dollars to, you know, where you want them to go, specifically in the in the campaign. So that could well, be a little bit of the secret sauce, too, behind Donald Trump and, you know, his having not spent a lot of money in advertising. He understands the other side of this, too, sort of the uh, profit and loss sheet of, being a candidate hmm. Well folks You are listening to Our Own Voices Live Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday At 12.30pm on the West Coast 3.30 out east 
And our topic today is the second 2015 Republican debate slash reality show. Give us a call at 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600, and let us know what you thought of the debate, the debate format. We can do wins, losses, and what substances takeaway did you have from the debate? Uh, there was at the first debate we had Rick Santorum, George Pataki. Uh Wow, I don't even remember the other two guys. <laughs> oh, uh, Bobby Zindal, and apparently someone else that didn't right. shine right. <laughs> and it makes you, I think. Polling between the four of them, they might they might make like three percent. But I think two of them. Oh, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Oh and yeah. The interesting thing about it is Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, who Donald Trump is actually beating in the South Carolina polls, which is odd to me, was probably the most outspoken person of the four. But he had sort of a single track of thought. And that was on what needs to be done to defeat ISIS. And in his opinion, what needs to be done to defeat ISIS is America needs to send as a minimum 10,000 troops, I'm talking army here, soldiers, boots on the ground, into Syria and possibly Iraq to defeat the Islamic State, ISIL, and the various other iterations of it. And he he, he just was unwavering on that. Hmm. And I guess my my question to you, Angela, and also to the folks out there listening, if you look at the spread of the Islamic State and what's happened, remember when President Obama drew the line in the sand and the line was crossed and America's response was no response? that ISIS was the JV team. But if you look at the proliferation of ISIS and ISIL now, was this a major miscalculation by President Obama, one, and does Lindsey Graham have a point that in order to stop ISIS, we're going to have to go back there and engage them in a fashion that we apparently don't seem to have the heart to do. I'm no foreign um, expert, but we are obviously going to have to look at taking a different tactic because what we're doing is just not working. This this is a big one right here because yeah. America, what we were saying was why, you know, that's their fight, that's their war. They've been fighting each other for thousands of years. Why do we have to go over there? And I remember that Don, uh, General Colin Powell, who's chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, he was National Security Advisor, and maybe he was Secretary of State. But at the time, as General Powell, he says, if you break it, 
you own it. And he was mm. talking about going to Iraq. And it really seems that his words were prophetic now. We broke yeah. it. We didn't fix it. It broke again. We went back, broke it some more, and then left it. And not only did it break more, but it spread throughout that region and that it has been as unstable as General Powell predicted that it would be. So even with this thing that happened in Syria, we're seeing a major humanitarian crisis with roughly half the Syrian population leaving. We're seeing a major shift in in European population. I mean, this is... I, I've never seen anything quite like this, and this is this is a real mess. Now you're more of an expert than me because you've been in the armed services. You, you know, you you just have more expertise, more 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 um, experience in in this area. I, clearly, we have to do something else, and it has spread like a cancer throughout the whole region. The trouble well, that is. like a cancer, uh, whereas my medical people, once cancer metastasizes, unless there's something done to remove it or to stop it and then cause it to retreat, that it will just keep spreading until ultimately it consumes and kills the body. Is ISIS a cancer not only on the Middle East, but is it a cancer on the rest of the world, including America? And the reason why I said it is because we know that we've had homegrown terrorist attacks in Europe, France, England, Spain. We know that we've had homegrown terrorist attacks right here in America. And that goes back to the point that was asked of Donald Trump. Well, like a cancer, did one of those cells cut loose and get into America? Did some of them, you know, we just had the three young men who were... Uh, honored for uh, subduing the uh, AK-47 wielding man on the train. And, and the reason why I said that is because it gets back, gets back to America's role. If something is not done to rid the Middle East of the cancer of ISIS, if I may call ISIS a cancer, hopefully I'll get no threats from ISIS, but if that is the case, are we the Dr. Ben Carson? Are we the surgeon that needs to go in and separate ourselves from this cancer that's conjoined with us? And if that requires boots on the ground, since we broke it, as General Powell says, do we have an obligation to Europe whose borders are being overflown with refugees that seemingly is an unending line? What, what's America's role? 347-826-9600. We'd love to hear. I see you guys out there listening. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Thanks for the text and the uh, the chats, and keep on sending them. I'll try to get your questions on if uh, you're not able to call in. I, um, I think this, Rodney, I think that it's going to take 
you know, this is a global this is having a global impact. It's going to take a global response to this. I uh, I still believe that there are more good people in the world not doing, you know, the good people who do nothing. I I still think it's more of us. And not saying that civilians have the skill set or the experience to you know, arm-to-arm, hand-to-hand combat or anything of that nature, but certainly we have the capacity to um, use compassion as our weapon of choice. And from a, a compassion standpoint, do some things that could help alleviate the pressure of of this cancer. That is terrorism. One of the things I liked about having Donald Trump in the race was that he was bringing up issues that other people were ignoring, like the immigration sure. issue. Mm-hmm. And I believe immigration is an issue of national security. Now, immigration oftentimes takes two opposing views. One is that you must be racist and hate other people, specifically Latino, Hispanic. And then the other one is that all of these people are terrible people and they're harming our country that's coming here. So those seem to be the polar opposites. Like most things, I think the truth is probably someplace in the middle. But we do know that ISIS is spreading throughout the world and that they do want to do harm to America. So it would be natural to assume that if they could cross our borders or if they could co-op some of those coming across the border, that they would do so. So it does seem to be a national security issue to do something with our borders. Whether we need a wall, I have to admit, I am not in favor of a wall. Now, I am in favor of something I believe that Chris Christie said, and I don't know how effective it would be, and maybe it should be a wall and a comment and a fence. But someone says that it should be a double fence, and then in between that double fence, there should be space. And at the top of that double fence, someone have suggested Constantina wire, and others have suggested that it's an electrified fence. And when you first say that, it sounds horrible. And I've asked for a long time, can we clarify, what does the law really say about immigrants and immigration? Do we have borders where people are allowed to walk across, or are they supposed to come in in a controlled manner? And should we control it? Ronald Reagan talked about a door to America for those who wanted to reach that shining city on the hill, which is America. And I I believe in that. I'm not even a Republican. And when I say I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat. I'm a middle-of-the-road type of guy. But the things that are true, hey, it don't make any difference who says it as long as it's true or it's usable. Sometimes it don't even have to be true, it just has to be usable. Where are we with this? And I think we need our leaders to articulate this clearly as what the Constitution and the law says about controlling our board. And then we need to look at it from a national security perspective as what do we need to keep ourselves safe. And I do believe immigration reform is critical to that piece. So I'm glad that Donald Trump brought that up. So that was one of the good things about having him in the race. One of the good things about listening to Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina was 
how passionate he was about what we need to do to defeat ISIS. I don't know if I necessarily agree with him, but at least he brought something of value to the discussion. Now, what else I would like to see them bring of value to the discussion is the mental health in this country. Because we know that people who have mental health challenges have been a a good percentage of the people who've done horrendous acts to other Americans in this country. We also know that those are the folks who tend to be more subject to the propaganda of ISIS and others. So mental health in America is one of those things that might even be critical to national security as well. I don't want to say that everything is a national security issue, but America and times have changed. And then one of the things that people used to talk about in the Republican Party was how they were going to get rid of Obamacare. And it almost seems as if they have given up on trying to get rid of Obamacare. And though I was not an original supporter of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, I became a supporter because I knew that there were people out there who really could not afford insurance and that those people under the Affordable Care Act, known as Obamacare, were now being treated for things that they weren't being treated before. I've known people who were close to me, and I was surprised to find out that there were people close to me who didn't have health insurance. But then there's a flip side to it that President Obama talked about, but no one is talking about now because at that time all it was was make it happen or, you know, keep it from happening. And one of the things he said is once it goes through, we get it through as best as we can, and then once we get it through, we go and take a look at it, and then we try to improve it and and fix it where it may still be broken. And I know that there are people out there whose premiums have literally gone up 400%. Angela, could you imagine your health insurance policy going up 400%? Hell no. It's too high now. I'm just be real and, with you. And for those who opt to keep their policy premium low and get a lower deductible, that deductible, or excuse me, to keep their premium policy low and get a higher deductible, their deductibles are so high that you're talking like a half a year's salary or a quarter of a year's salary for their that's crazy. And need to be seen. So I think that I would love to hear, especially from the GOP, I'd actually like to hear a Democrat talk about it in the upcoming debate. Hopefully they will. I would like to hear them talk about that because that is impacting, again, people's health. And the idea was to do things that would make sure that everyone was covered and that people could afford it. I mean, after all, the first name in the act is Affordable Care Act. Is it really affordable? (laughs) So that's something that I would love to hear someone address. And for the Republicans to be so opposed to it, they actually have something tangible now that they can go and run on and get their points in for hitting Obama because that's part of the game. i got to hit the other guy. But actually do something good. He said himself that it would need to be tweaked when it was implemented. Well, it's implemented and it needs to be tweaked. When are we going to get to the tweaking? When are these get people to going tweaking. to talk about it? I tell you. So that's get something that I didn't hear anything about in the debate that I thought that we should have. I, 
yes, we need to talk about immigration reform. I appreciate Lindsey Graham's passion because as a country, we do need to take a look at where we are with ISIS, where things are headed, what needs to be done to keep us safe, and is it going to be within our comfort zone, or do we need to recalibrate our comfort zone? So I, I appreciate Lindsey Graham for bringing it up. So there is something substantive in this, this, these debates slash reality shows. You may have to look right. a little hard to find it, but it is there. And when we find it, I think that we should do more to talk about it and push the candidates to talk about it even more. Because these, that's the stuff that's important. Whether Donald Trump or Carly P. Arena made a million, ten million, a hundred million, or a billion, how successful they were, I agree with Chris Christie. That's not my concern. Either way, and it's, he was right. right. Yeah, absolutely. He was correct in saying that that's not the American people's concern. You you you're here, so obviously you're successful. Good point. So, I've been trying to find the substantive things. Oh, here's one. The American infrastructure is just terrible. I do not remember hearing one candidate talk about infrastructure. Donald Trump talks about jobs. He talks about manufacturing. Of course, he never gives specifics. But I couldn't hear, I didn't hear anyone else really talk about America's infrastructure. And other than Chris Christie, I didn't hear anyone else talking about jobs. It's almost like did they forget there's people suffering in America? Yes, they have, because they're not on the suffering side, as Mr. Christie pointed out. You're all successful because you're here. When's the last time you saw a? I'm gonna put it in old English terms: a commoner running for the 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 office of the presidency. You haven't. Um, I don't know. Well, so those are some things that I would like to hear them talking about. And I would like to hear Rand Paul uh, somehow push for his issue his, about the incarceration rate and drugs associated with the incarceration rate of, of, well, Americans in general, but for sure black people specifically. I thought that that was a noble pursuit of his before uh, the debate cycle started. And he's been mute on it since then. Well, honestly, the debate was void of black issue, minor black issues particularly. They really did not raise anything uniquely specific to our community. And that was a lot of the chatter on, on social media, how they weren't addressing African Americans at all. Now, here's, here's the flip side Are we addressing them? Because, you know, Jeff Bush came to Las Absolutely. Vegas. Absolutely. Uh, matter of fact, he's been back. Uh, we've had Rand Paul here. Uh, we've, we've had others here. And where have we been? I looked in the audience at the Jeff Bush rally. Didn't see many of us. I looked in the GOP debate audience as much as I could see. And other than the young man sitting behind the moderators who happened to be, I believe it's a 23, 24-year-old son of a billionaire in California who seemed to garner almost as much attention as the debates from according, according to social media, 
it was pretty much a non-minority audience that was there. And it's California. It's a bunch of rich people, I guess. So maybe that's what you would expect. Maybe CNN and these debate people should purposely look for regular Americans to be a part of this and get a, a better feel for what the American populace is feeling. But we have to ask ourselves, is what are we doing to make ourselves relevant? And because if we're not a part of the conversation, then it's more like what they're telling us or what they're saying. They may not be telling us anything or speaking directly to us. So how do we insert ourselves into the conversation? I just don't see that. I think it's very important that we do. And one of, the, one of my concepts on thinking of today's show was, again, whoever wins the GOP nomination for president has a 50-50 chance of being the next president of this country who will probably appoint at least two Supreme Court justices. Who do we want to do that? Who do we want it to be? What type of person do we want it to be? What type of issues do we want the courts to attack? Do we want this president, whoever he or she may be, to focus on? I think in order to have influence in the game, you have to be associated with the game. Whether you're a player on the field, you're a coach, ref, you have to have some involvement of the game to affect the outcome. And I think black people should take these debates seriously. And you said because of the numbers, they must be watching. But we have to have our input. So here is my input for our presidential nominees and for the communities in which they come. Do not let a presidential nominee of either party come into your community and not address Black Lives Matter. And not address it as if black lives are the only lives that matter, of course, to those of us who see people losing their lives it is. But in the context of you say all lives matter, but we're saying that in all lives you exclude black people. And we're saying our lives matter too. And to us, our lives matter. Do not let a candidate come into your community and leave without addressing Black Lives Matter. We must address the situation in the Middle East. And we must do it in a comprehensive, long view because it will impact us locally. We have to address the infrastructure of this company, of this country. Maybe that was a fault against slip. Some people say the United States of America is a corporation. <laughs> There's a high-speed train being built, just announced this week, from L.A. to Las Vegas. So I like to think of it from Las Vegas to L.A. And my understanding from what I read, from what I gleaned, is that this train is going to be built by a Chinese company. I think, and I'm, I'm going to editorialize a minute, I think it is a disgrace for America not to be able to build its own high-speed train and rail system. It is a disgrace. I was talking to a young person, and they were saying to me, well, I don't really see China as our friend, 
And if we're buying all of this stuff for China and they're building all of this stuff, then who's to say that they're not putting hardware or software things in there so at some point with a few clicks of the keyboard they could put some code in that they could take it over or do something to it. And mm-hmm. I thought about that and I said, you know, that's actually a pretty good point right there. Uh, the the leader of China is coming to the United States soon. We're preparing for a state dinner and all of the pomp and circumstances of that. And, um, you know, there there's a significant part of uh, uh, Obama's constituents that have been very vocal about we should not, you know, have this visit until their leader addresses why they keep hacking us and continue to hack our systems on a regular basis. So that young person is very astute um, because they're doing it and we're embroiled in a big national uh, exchange, debate, whatever you want to label it as, as we speak, as we ramp up on um, this coming state visit from their leadership, um, there's a very, very real possibility that it might get canceled or something because we don't, we we are addressing the fact that they're hacking us currently a lot. You know, that, that's another issue too, Angela, because I, I, I was at a meeting, uh, a gathering the other night. And one of the things that I said was World War Three has started. Yeah, it's just that it's, it's on digital the, on the internet. Yep. And I, I I would like to see someone talk a little bit more. They touched on it, but I would like to see someone from these presidential candidates talk a little bit more about that because that is going to have a major impact on this country and even us as individuals, depending on how they go about it. So that's another area that needs some governmental involvement and some people talking about it. So we have to talk about infrastructure. We have to talk about what's going on in the Middle East and how it impacts us. Yes, we have to talk about immigration. One of the things that Donald Trump pointed out, that immigration was costing us $200 billion. Well, $200 billion is significant to me. So that's obviously something that needs to be addressed. I'm just wondering who's going to address it. And if Donald Trump hadn't brought it up, would it even be mentioned? So Black Lives Matter, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about mental illness in this country because I believe it can adversely affect us because of ISIS and just because of the way that people are nowadays. Uh, We have to talk about the Affordable Care Act and what it's going to take to keep the cost down and to keep the affordable in the name of the Affordable Care Act. So in the next debate, I believe there's a Democratic debate that's coming up next. Those are some areas that I believe we as the citizens, as the, as the electorate, should bombard social media and email candidates on these issues. As a matter of fact, and I may need to talk to you offline on how we can generate some type of maybe video campaign to address some of these issues. We, we have to raise them. Here in Las Let's Vegas, do it. 
The next debate will be right here uh, in lovely Las Vegas, October 16th. This is our opportunity. What do we want said, and how do we want to get our our point across? Well, you know, I guess we could go on and on, and we'll have future shows about this. But I did want to cover the debate, see how it impacted the country, but also see how it impacted the black community. And I do want to encourage you all to get involved. I've listed down some areas that I think that we need greater discussion on, and there's probably more than that. We still have, you know, we have both Democratic candidates talking about college, and we even starting to have some of the Republicans talking about it. Uh, affordability. Uh, that, that is, I asked someone who has actually paid off their college loan. Very few hands went up. So th- this is an issue. There's a lot of issues out there, and it's up to our elected leaders with the assistance of us to prioritize what we as a country need and then to actively pursue resolutions to those issues. Uh, Roger Harris has talked about infrastructure and the funding for infrastructure. It is key. The upgrades of our computer systems. We just had an airline that shut down for about a half a day because they had computer system problems, and this is the first time. So we do need to engage our candidates, even if it's not our party of choice. We need to be aware and pay attention to what's going on and see how we can impact those individuals to ensure that they talk about the things that are relevant to us in this country. Well, I titled the show today the second 2015 Republican debate slash reality show. Folks, it is one thing to be entertained. This is also about our country's survival and about our people's survival. Let's take it serious and let's push the network as well as the candidates to take it serious because we need we need people who are serious to take care of these serious problems. I would implore you to find out who your elected official is. That's a good place to start. And once you found out who your elected official is, Engage them. I've listed some things, and I'll try to put them on the Our Own Voices Live Facebook page, of topics that definitely need to be discussed. If you have topics that you feel need to be discussed, post them there, too. Let us find out what they are. And then maybe somebody else has that same interest, and collectively we can push those things with these candidates. There is no tomorrow. There is only today. And if there was a tomorrow, what we do today will affect us. How will our children look at us if we do no more than just act as bystanders, the good people? Angela, that about does it for me. Excellent. Another show behind us, year five underway. (laughs) Yes, it is good to have had our fifth anniversary uh, show and to still be on the air and still going on. Uh, Las Vegas, don't forget, we're still trying to bring Dr. Ray Fund to bring Dr. Omar Johnson here. If you have an interest in that, go to the Our Own Voices Live Facebook page and let us know. Share it. And I'll share links with you to a page where you can give a donation and let us know if you actually want it here and you're willing to support it. 
because maybe he can inspire us to be more involved with the politics as well as the economics that we need to improve our condition. So, yes, Las Vegas is striving to bring Dr. Omar Johnson here to talk about education, to talk about economic development, to talk about community empowerment. Uh, the Gathering is reading a book by Kawanza Sanjusu about black ec- economics. And that we'd encourage you to read that book, too, because it's a short read. And it will give you some insight so we can all be on the same page and maybe we can move forward with some of these agenda, agenda items. It's critical. We have to do it. We have to be involved. We can no longer put our head in the sand and pull the earth around because it gets heavy. We have to do it. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. 3.30 out east. We will be back here next week at those times, and I hope that you will join us. And in the meantime and in between time, go to Our Own Voices Live, and let's keep the conversation going. And a big shout-out to my homegirl, a fellow gatherer, Tanya, for listening to the show today and sending in comments and uh, attending the gathering yesterday. It definitely uplifted my spirit to see so many people come out. And uh, let's, let's keep the movement moving. Let's keep the movement moving. All right, Angela, take us out of here. Make it a great week, folks. Enjoy the Pope's visit. It's going to upset all sorts of traffic in your town, Rodney, in your hometown, New York City. But, you know, it's interesting to see the Pope. He's in Cuba today. He'll be in the United States this week. Enjoy it. God bless you. See you next week. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.